But this competition is about taking it to the next level, the ultimate level, the very top. If I get eliminated today, it shouldn't be because I did not put my best out there. When you're trying to control everything and can't control anything, that's when you everything up. If you drop dead, you drop dead with class. Yes. And then attitude, you own the world. If I like what I see, it doesn't matter what anybody else has to say. Cheryl was talking about being a bitch, which means that you need to have confidence, you have to have attitude, and you have to be very sassy, but not necessarily mean. But to be the next drag superstar, you've got to do the job in front of you and not let your emotions get the better of you. Hello, squirrel friends. Welcome to Drag Race Psychology. My name is David Smith, and I'm a sports psychology professional and a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. Drag Race Psychology is a podcast where we thrust ourselves deep into each season of Drag Race and review it through the lens of sports psychology. We seek to untuck the psychological processes of the art of drag, the pressures of performance and competition, and what it takes to be America's next drag superstar. In this episode, we are covering Season 1 of RuPaul's Drag Race, featuring myself and my colleague, Dr. Jason Von Steets, that you might know from his podcast, Ruby House Sports Psychology. We hope that you will join us on this journey as we use our own charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent to find out what it takes to succeed, whether it be in drag, sport, or life. Welcome to our first episode of Drag Race Psychology. I am joined by my friend and colleague, host of the podcast Movie House Sports Psychology, Jason Von Steets. And just like the first season of Drag Race, this episode might be a bit of a mess as we still find our rhythm, but thankfully we're not in RuPaul's basement, nor are we using any smudgy camera filters. <laughs> we are excited to geek out on sports psychology and Drag Race. We hope you have as much fun as we do as we journey through the seasons of Drag Race to learn more about performance psychology and the art of drag. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And uh, you know, if if you want to use the the weird smudgy filter, and then we can call this episode the lost season or something, then that's <laughs> that's that's fine by me. It, it'll add some some history and some flavor. That's definitely how they re- they think about the first season of Drag Race. Is it's like the lost season? You know, it's the one that is there, but nobody really really remembers <laughs> yeah yeah i think you might have even uh, gave me a heads up about the filter and it didn't really click with me and then when i started watching it i was like oh my what it what is this this is yeah like i don't know if, if it was this is if they had like um uh like instagram in mind or if instagram was even around at at that time or yeah if it was um like uh, it's supposed to be like a an old 1930s dream sequence where they just put some Vaseline on a on a screen or, or a, the camera or something. But I, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, uh, from what I from what I could tell, I think it was just they just had a really cheap camera, mm-hmm. and they were trying to you know <laughs> glam it up and make it look good, mm-hmm. you know, for because the that first season was super low budget. You know, mm-hmm. they barely had enough to even make make it happen. So I think they tried to pull off some tricks as they did, but obviously, I mean, it it, it was a good good first season enough that they were able to get renewed and and yeah. get more money for the next, for the later seasons that eventually it was able to blow up but yeah that that first season with especially that camera filter is kind of rough but i mean that's why we love it right you know because yeah. it's literally a show that 
was the first time anything like this had ever been seen on TV that put drag in mainstream TV like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, they didn't really know exactly how to format the show. So it's actually more mm-hmm. kind of a copy of some, you know, other kind of popular competition shows at the time that, you know, they just basically copied the format. And then, you know, as the seasons developed, they were able to mm-hmm. to kind of make it their own. So it's, you know, definitely a groundbreaking show in that front of saying, I can forgive, you know, some of these, you know, little things like here and there mm-hmm. because, you know, that's where that's where it started. And, and that's mm-hmm. where it's like the first episode, right? The first episode's drag on a dime. Well, mm-hmm. this was drag race on a dime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. It, it it kind of reminded me of um uh, like like you, you can really see the history where they're building it from the ground up. And it kind of reminds me of like um maybe the, the early days of the UFC where uh, it's not really a, a professional sports league yet. It's kind of a tournament that they're just throwing together mm-hmm. and they, they don't really have mixed martial artists yet. It's more like people who have learned an art and like fighting and they're trying it out. And then now, if you look at the seasons now, it's like the, these are professional entertainers yeah. who have been seasoned for, for years do, doing their thing. But in this early season, like you could really see like, like, Oh, maybe did that person get that at TJ Maxx? And right. You know, <laughs> this person learned how to dance at a party versus dancing mm-hmm. like professionally. So, but it, it was still really uh, entertaining and in- interesting to watch. Yeah. It's funny you talk about that because I mean, they call it the Olympics of drag. Right. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me think of that first Olympic games in 1996 yeah. in, in Greece, because yeah, they didn't really know what they were doing and they just mm-hmm. kind of, put on this ad hoc competition and, and there weren't professionals. I mean, you know, you talk, you hear about the story of the first marathon and the whole thing, you know, the fact that like nobody died during that first marathon mm-hmm. was a, just a accomplishment on its own. And people mm-hmm. are running like no shoes and no, mm-hmm. no equipment. And, you know, it's, it was just kind of a hot mess. So, so it's interesting that, yeah, you talk about that because yeah, in the very beginning, they just didn't really know what they were doing. But then as they started to figure it out, then you start to see, you know, the later seasons and the competitions where the Queens and, and the athletes, you know, they become more refined and they become more knowing what to do and what to expect in the competition because going into this one, right. So, so going into this one, you know, RuPaul says, okay, the, the judges are looking for your charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Yeah. And those are the the traits, right? So, but that's still very vague. Of okay, well, as we go through these kind of challenges, well, of what exactly does that mean for a singing challenge or an acting challenge or, and or something like that? So these queens who, you know, going into this not really knowing what's going on as much as the judges do, you know, they're doing their best based on what they know and what they experience, but they're not professionals. In the very, you know, they are professionals as performers and artists, but right. in in this context, it's it's still very kind of amateurish. Yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm sure that Drag Race, uh, you know, the the TV show has has really formed uh, the whole drag race scene, and now people are probably spending years. Uh, you would think that they're spending years developing um their improv skills for snatch game and their um sewing skills and their sort of uh design skills and then you can really see at that time 
um, just like you mentioned with the the first Olympics, the first Olympics were, you know, 17 year olds and college students and, you know, maybe like a 25 year old who was really athletic and, and also basically anybody they could get to sign up, you know? Yeah. 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 And then in, in the drag race, you, you can see like, oh yeah, these are, these are almost like Rocky Balboa. Like these are club performers or people who go on their, you know, their tours, you know, their, their professional, um, you know, entertainment tour, but it's not nearly the same as what it is today where there's like a, a whole uh, circuit of like clubs and Broadway shows and then all these things that, that the performers can really spend years just uh, using to hone their craft. We learned later on, you know, that as, especially after this first season, here's mm -hmm. kind of what the judges expect and here's what mm -hmm. Queens can prepare for. So there's going to be a sewing challenge. There's going to be a design challenge, a, an acting challenge, a comedy challenge, a singing challenge, a dancing challenge. So they, you know, learn, okay, here's at least the basic skill set that mm -hmm. you need. So, and you can see this in, in the later seasons with a lot of the Queens where the Queens that tend to advance all the way to the end. They're the ones that at least can do those a lot of those skills competently enough to be safe. And then they bring out their strengths that they can use to really succeed, you know. Mm -hmm. So being able to to have that going in and having that kind of awareness allows it a lot easier to, to be more refined. And, and it's not just the training for it, but it's mm -hmm. also the preparation for it. Because now current seasons of Drag Race are being a little more criticized of these queens having to come in and, and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just on, on their looks and on their style. Mm -hmm. So which is kind of ironic given that the first episode of this first season is drag on a dime, which talks yeah. about, okay, you, how do you make a, a decent drag outfit outfit when you literally have nothing, no money to right. spend, or you have just very yeah. little. So, which I always kind of laugh at that dichotomy, right? Mm -hmm. Because, because this is kind of where drag started. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's grown into become so much more, but you look back on these kind of humble beginnings and it mm -hmm. seems so soft. Right, right. Yeah. And it was really interesting because because many of them were actually, you know, 10 years, 15 years, you know, into the game. And then uh, in episode one, they had the sewing challenge. And then Porkchop, who I, I'm pretty sure was around for a really long time before, wasn't able to sew. And that was her first time putting a dress together. And it's, it just really shows you like, oh, man, without without having the career goal of knowing what drag race is and planning to be on it people just weren't developing their all-around skills that they need for, for that competition. Exactly. And and Porkchop was, um, I think, the oldest one of the oldest queens mm -hmm. or the most experienced queen, right? And she talks a lot about that. So she's exciting to be, you know, have that level of experience going into it that she could share. So it is disappointing. She was the first one eliminated mm -hmm. and completely based on the fact that she is not able to sew and and didn't do a very good job in, in designing her outfit so it's a shame that and, and of all the queens poor Chop was was never invited i don't think she's ever been invited to go to oh, all stars or anything like okay. that in the future so yeah. we've never really gotten a chance to really see what poor Chop can do in, in other in other realms which is really kind of disappointing but let's let's backtrack a little bit sure. so before we get back to mm -hmm. all the episodes let's talk about the queens sure so we had Porkchop, of course. She was the mm -hmm. first eliminated. Uh, and then going through, we also had uh, Chanel, Nina Flowers, mm -hmm. Rebecca Glasscock, Angina, Akasha, Tammy Brown, Jade, and Bebe Zahar Bidet. 
Mm-hmm. So what are your impressions of each of the queens when you think about, okay. you know, they had their entrance, they had, you know, maybe the the way that they presented themselves. What was the one thing that stood out from each of those queens for you? Sure, sure. Well, I guess first to give like an overall impression, I, I did uh, think it was a little bit funny, a little bit cute that, uh, you know, now when you watch a, uh, an episode or, or, you know, the beginning of any season, there's a whole grand entrance and, you know, the person probably spent thousands of dollars on whatever it is they're wearing and they've planned it out. They have a catchphrase that they try to establish early on a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this time I'd have to watch it again, but I think they just kind of walked in and uh, they you know. kind of looked around and, okay, look, it's a room and, oh, look, there's some tweets over there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was noticing like, that their outfits uh, were, you know, much more normal. Like it could just be anyone at Target. Uh, oftentimes, there might have been a few people who were who were really dressed up. Um, you know, were really bringing it already. But as far as I can remember, a lot of them just look like just ladies who were were shopping that day or just running right. some errands. <laughs> just kind of stumbled upon this like room and oh look a camera. Let me just smile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so that's like my overall impression. And then, you know, some some of my more specific impressions. I thought, you know, pork chop just seemed like really nice and uh I would have assumed that she came back for a later season that I just didn't see. So I'm I'm pretty surprised actually that yeah. she never made another appearance and really only had like one or two episodes or I guess three because the beginning and then um, uh, the reunion and the highlight show. And then right. that's, that's pretty much it for pork chop. Yeah. Uh, and that's such a great name too. It's such a great <laughs> <Yeah>. name. <laughs> and what I love about pork chop too is that. Yeah. So at every mm-hmm. finale of, of the show, since then, when mm-hmm. they've had an audience, there's always been a seat rever- reserved for Pork Chop. Yeah, and then there was an episode in one of the All Stars later on where they had this joke where the joke was that I, I can't remember who the guest judge was, but in All Stars, the judges don't make the decision of who mm-hmm. gets eliminated, right? So yeah. during the judges' critique phase, instead of doing the critique, they just kind of like do something random. And during this one episode, it just always stood out to me because the. Uh, RuPaul says, okay, as the queens go backstage, the judges, uh, or in this case, would, he would normally say the judges would deliberate. He says, our guest judge is going to lip seek against Porkchop. Mm. And you think, oh, that's so great. It's going to be a cameo from Porkchop. But instead, it's a plate with an actual piece of pork chop <laughs> on it. And it's just sitting there on the stage while the guest judge is like dancing and singing and performing. And it just keeps cutting back to the little plate with the mm-hmm. with the piece of meat on it. And then and then at the end RuPaul's like, and pork chop, you will become lunch. <laughs> and it's so stupid, but it just cracks me up so much. I just it was such a random yeah. joke too. Oh wow. Yeah. You know, and now that I think now that you said that I actually saw that episode, but just didn't know the context of the joke. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and then I, I think I kind of remember thinking, "Oh, I kind of thought that pork chop was a drag queen, but yeah. I guess not." <laughs> <laughs> and now you learned that yeah. she was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also lunch. Yeah, and also lunch. <laughs> and I, didn't they also have like pig sound effects? Like I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. 
Yeah, I, I can't. I don't want to try to make the sound because it'll it'll just be terrible. <laughs> but I think like when each person would lose, or when they would hint at somebody losing, I think they would kind of make like a squealing sound. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. I mean, I love this like stupid random humor like that, and, and Drag yeah. Race is full of it. And that's I just why I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was yeah. there any? So was there any other queens that stood out to you specifically? Angina stood out as being very sweet, very nice, and also having a very unique look. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's someone who maybe in future seasons uh, might have done better. And, and maybe just at this time, they were still just kind of defining what they're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. And then Nina Flowers definitely stood out to me as um, somebody who is just a, ahead of the curve, ahead of her time. Um just had like this really like heightened style. There's just like punk rock and really cool. And at first I thought like, oh, this person is probably, probably just has a personality that is, um, you know, very, um, uh, you know, like just kind of cool and maybe not that friendly. Uh, I'm not sure what how to say that. Maybe a little bit stuffy, but then she turned out to be like really, really nice and have a great attitude. And right. so it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition to see like this really kind of hardened punk rock look, but then just be like like a really nice, easygoing, friendly person. And I like that intimidating person that you're like, oh, that yeah. person is too cool for school. There's, I'm not going to talk to them because they'll just think mm -hmm. I'm lame. And then <laughs> you go to talk to them and they end up being like the sweetest person that becomes your best friend. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. There's such, you know, such a difference between the drag look and the, or the drag persona and then just the sort of behind the scenes um just everyday person, Jorge, just just the right. the, the, the the regular person. And then I don't know if this was just me or just uh, uh, my kind of limited experience with the season, but it also kind of seemed like the show hadn't really developed the story yet, like the narration where when I watch an episode now, you can see like a real story and people having conversations and alliances developing. And then with this season, it kind of seemed like behind the scenes footage where they're just... Like to me, there wasn't as clear of a story yet. But right. is, am I making that up, or, or did you notice no, that? No, it's it's a real thing because you know they mm. always talk about like how nowadays it's often criticized where you know certain queens are edited in ways where mm. oh you're the villain of the season or you're yeah. the you know you're this person of the season you're that person of the season. So mm. they do kind of craft the storyline, and yeah. in the future they also will specifically select queens that maybe have like a previous history with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, season five oh. is a perfect example with Alyssa and Coco Montrese mm -hmm. just to create that kind of storyline that drives it through. And they, mm -hmm. they definitely do some editing tricks and kind of manipulate the story yeah. there. So, but you know, in the first season, they, they, it, they, they showed hints of that. Mm -hmm. So especially I think with, um, uh, with Rebecca Glasscock, because mm. you know, if you notice by like the finale, and especially they talk about mm. it in the reunion, RuPaul straight up is like, "So who thinks Rebecca should have been in the finale?" <laughs> and everybody's like, mm -hmm. "No, we don't think she should have been in the finale." Mm. And then Rebecca, of course, is like, "Well, what the hell, y'all?" Um, but mm. you know, they kind of set up that storyline where, yeah, Rebecca, you know, should have been eliminated mm. prior, but you know, they it was clear that. A lot, and they got a lot of criticism that you know Rebecca was kind of uh, mm -hmm. getting more 
uh, lenient critiques from the judges, <laughs> especially because this also led to um, a fight with Tammy Brown and mm. and with Chanel. Because especially Chanel was criticizing in the in the reunion episode, mm-hmm. Chanel was criticizing. You know, she said, "Well, I never got positive feedback. You were always yeah. negative in your feedback for me," mm-hmm. and you know, was really complaining about that. So Chanel felt that they were being very harsh on her, while at the same time, she and Rebecca were pretty pretty similar, I think, in the competition wise. Mm-hmm. And and sh- but Chanel was always going after Rebecca, like every episode. Chanel is criticizing or making some, you know, throwing some shade at Rebecca and says, oh, well, Rebecca's here to play a game. You know, she's here to to, to do whatever she has to do to win and get to the mm-hmm. top, which on one hand, you're like, well, yeah, it is a competition, you know, and, and, and of course, this always comes up in later, uh, later seasons. It's not RuPaul's best friends race, yeah. you know, and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rebecca was there to compete. And so, you know, she was definitely pulling some tricks there to to be able to stay competitive where she was getting criticized by some of the other queens for that. But at the same time, you know, they were leaning on her versus somebody like Chanel who felt like, okay, you're just giving me, you know, negative criticisms here. Mm -hmm. And, and to the point, because Chanel was the one that eliminated, kind of eliminated herself, you know, when Uh, there was an episode mm -hmm. where RuPaul asks, well, if you could eliminate anybody in this competition, Mm -hmm. who would it be? And Chanel's like, I eliminate myself. I'm done, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and so that was kind of a, a whole, that was a whole dramatic moment right there mm-hmm. too, which was quite interesting. What were your thoughts yeah. on that in sure. terms of her, her, her impressions and, and maybe the reason sure. like, cause she eliminated herself and then she was already in the bottom mm-hmm. two. So then when it came time for the lip sync, you know, she did the mm-hmm. lip sync and she performed, but mm-hmm. she didn't really put the heart into it as much as she could have. So, you know, it's clear that she was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And then uh, is, is Chanel the one that was always showing off her butt? I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And then this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's probably tied in. It's it's just a little bit interesting that uh, Chanel was often showing off her butt, showing off her body and then Rebecca is also at, at least be due to at least in the season one portrayal because you don't really know what's going on. But at least in right. the editing, it seemed like um, like they were both kind of relying on their looks and, and their mm-hmm. body. And maybe the judge is just kind of favored Rebecca, but they were both kind of playing the same game. Just I'm, right. I'm, I'm the pretty one. I have a nice body, that kind of thing. Um, I definitely got that too, especially with Chanel, because as critical as it was that Chanel mm -hmm. was being to Rebecca, you know, Mm -hmm. Chanel wasn't completely innocent there herself, I don't think. And it's always it's always a a tough call. It's always interesting when somebody takes themselves out of the game, because, you know, on one hand, if we're saying that mental health matters and we take that really seriously, and if somebody is at their limit, then it does make sense and it's kind of a, a responsible thing to say i've kind of reached my breaking point and now i should leave j- just to pr- protect my mental health and and you know I, I enjoyed this competition good luck to everyone um, right but then it's always like oh man could you have stuck it out a little bit more could you have been resilient more resilient was was there a moment to pause and take a breath and rethink things Right. Uh, so that's always just such a hard call to make. And uh, it's it's hard to know without actually talking to them and hearing what they have to say. But, um, you know, I would like to think that someone could 
pause, think things through, breathe, and then say, you know what? Let me let me let me just give it my all. Let me leave it all out there. Uh, you'd normally say leave it out there on the field, but yeah. leave it out there on the the catwalk or yeah, you know, the, the on the runway. stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, leave it out there on the stage, and then let let the judges make the decision. And right. then if I get another week, then I'm going to give it my all another week. But you know, if she was really at her limit, then okay, go go back home and get some therapy and feel better. But right, yeah, that's, it's so hard to say. And that's an important point to bring up too, because. You know, she was in the reunion. She mm -hmm. Chanel was particularly critical to Santino about that, mm -hmm. and you know, saying, "Okay, you know, Santino's judgment about her, you know, was the specific reason why she wanted to leave the show." And you know, for it was clearly a case of, "Okay, you know, she's struggling mental health wise. She's struggling just feeling confident in herself, and mm -hmm. and definitely hit a breaking point there." Mm -hmm. And so when when she called out Santino for that during the reunion. What really bothered me was the way that mm -hmm. Santino responded because mm -hmm. it was clear that, you know, she's saying, hey, you know, you need to to keep this in mind mm -hmm. when you give these criticisms that it's OK. If you're going to give negative criticisms, you know, make sure it's constructive, make sure it's something. Mm -hmm. But also don't be afraid to throw in a compliment in there once in a while. Mm -hmm. And and she kind of had to, like, stand up for herself yeah. to say, I am a good queen. I am right. fashionable. I do have good looks. I have confidence in, in personality. Mm -hmm. I have all these things about me that she had to stand up for herself for. Yeah. And then Santino, you know, he's controversial in, in a lot of ways, yeah. but for him, the way that he responded did not leave me with a good taste of Santino mm -hmm. because he could acknowledge that. But then at the same time, instead of saying, yeah, you're right, you know, maybe, here's how I could do better or how we can shift a little bit to be, make sure that that's taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. He goes to keep on trying to criticize her, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and he says, well, I just didn't like your looks. Uh, you know, I yeah. thought you were great here, but I didn't like your looks there. It's like Santino, mm -hmm. shut up. The competition's <laughs> over. Yeah. Nobody cares. You yeah. know, this is not what we stop credit. Stop judging her looks, you mm -hmm. know, and that was kind of a, a frustrating moment for me, but it was nice to see that Chanel was able to stand up like that. And it mm -hmm. also actually kind of connects back to also Tammy Brown because mm -hmm. Tammy Brown earlier in the season, she didn't officially self-eliminate, but mm -hmm. she clearly wanted out of the competition. Yeah. And she had begun a lot of criticism at the same point as well. But she also, I think it was less about the criticism of the judges, but more about her. She was always kind of seen as an outsider from the group. Mm -hmm. So there was some struggles where they had a, like a group challenge and Tammy was always picked last, but um, then her ideas weren't considered. It was, she was constantly feeling rejected. She just didn't really feel like she was being heard or accepted by the other Queens within the group. And so in one of the earlier episodes, she was in the bottom two and she just straight up during the lip sync. She didn't even lip sync. She just stood there on stage and just danced. Yeah. And so basically just at that point gave up, on her own competition yeah. and was ready to get out. Yeah. Yeah. That's so rough. And even if you, if you know, you're going to lose, even if you know, people are biased against you, if you're not being supported, all that stuff, if you can still just give it your all, um, or at, at least, you know, do your, you know, do your best in that given moment, whatever that is, if you only have 20% left, give your 20%. Uh, then usually you end up feeling better. And then I, I don't know how Tammy felt after that, but 
I can imagine you're feeling embarrassed and kind of let down and, and all that stuff. And, and it's such a hard situation because it's season one. So they don't know what they're getting into because it kind of reminds me of uh, what was that show called? Um, uh, the one with Simon Cowell. Um, American uh, Idol. Yeah. American Idol. Like after a while, people knew like, oh, I'm going to go on. Simon Cowell is going to crap all over me. And that's what I'm signing up for. And I'll get to be on TV and I'll laugh about it later. Uh, but in Drag Race season one, they don't know what they're getting into. Right. So they go there and then in, in their mind, they're getting crapped all over. And it's like, this doesn't feel good. I, you know, I signed up to, uh, you know, meet RuPaul. I didn't know yeah. that I was going to face this criticism. Right. And I wonder how much information they had before when they auditioned. Mm -hmm. I know that they ran advertisements just saying, hey, look, we're part of this kind of drag-based reality show. So yeah. submit your you know, audition tapes and, and let us know why you should be on the show or whatever. So, yeah, I'm not sure how much information they were given beforehand. But you can definitely tell that especially you know, several of these queens weren't mentally yeah. prepared for the level of what this competition ended up becoming. Mm -hmm. And not just, not just like with Tammy Brown and Chanel, just, you know, at that point being so frustrated that they self-eliminated, but just in general, because, you know, for example, there was a lot of the episodes where they had the challenges, particularly, I think the Oprah challenge, mm -hmm. there's the episode where they had the Oprah challenge where you had to, embody oprah mm -hmm. as a character with three different skits and there was the first skit you had to be a reporter mm -hmm. the second skit you had to be a saleswoman on like a QV qvc yeah. type channel and then the third skit you had to do oprah as a talk show host and mm -hmm. you interview this guest and you could tell that several of the queens were very overwhelmed in yeah. terms of like oh crap i've got to do three different looks i've got to do three mm -hmm. different bits here i've got to you know, do this and that this is, and, and several more like, this is straight up one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And, yeah. you know, putting the looks together, yeah. putting the personality together. There is even one point in the episode where um, I want to say it was, I want to say it was Jade who wanted to do blackface. Ooh. And so yeah. she goes to Bebe and she's like, how can I do basically do blackface? And then, and then when the other Queens realize this, they're like, don't do blackface. <laughs> That's not what this challenge yeah. is about. You're not trying to look like Oprah. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to just mm -hmm. embody that kind of personality yeah. and spirit and energy type Oprah, you know, but, you know, still be yourself, right? So you're not trying to do a carbon copy of Oprah. You're just trying to take her as an inspiration and do these kinds of things that Oprah has done in her career. And so you can definitely tell, like, just something like that was like, okay, yeah, they definitely really are kind of unprepared for yeah. what the demands of this challenge are. And again, it was later on, there was the episode where they had to design and sew three different looks. Mm. And it was like, they had to do a swimsuit. They had to do an evening gown and they had to do a businesswoman's look. Mm -hmm. And it, they had to incorporate, I think uh, uh, the color scheme for these different types of fruit based on the sponsors of like vodka flavors. Yeah. And they were straight up also like, oh, my gosh, I never had to design this many looks and I've only got so much time. And, yeah. you know, you get this pressure because they have so much to do with such a limited amount of time, not only to get it done, but also to get prepared to go out there and perform it. So get into the mindset, get into the to the actual look of it all as well. And definitely mm -hmm. if, uh, if they were not always prepared for that, I think. Yeah, yeah, geez. And comedy is so hard. So you know, if if you're doing a character – 
and you're trying and you're hoping to be funny and uh, just making up a character is really hard or do an impression trying to embody oprah trying to do young oprah trying to do reporter oprah trying to do talk show host oprah that's already a challenge and everybody can be funny when they're with their friends just kind of chatting and and you know being snarky here and there but to actually have you know a five minute window where you need to do an impression but also make it really unique so you're not doing an impression that's on TV or doing the same impression somebody else is doing and be funny for five minutes, that's incredibly hard. So if they weren't doing years of improv comedy or years of stand-up or, or anything like that, I'm sure like they would crack jokes here and there in their act, but if they didn't have to be reliably funny for five minutes, then right. that, that task is like, It's 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 almost unfair. It's it's too hard to ask somebody to do that. They're going to crash and burn. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's season one, so nobody nobody's prepared. Nobody's practicing yes and or or, or doing characters on the road and fine tuning it. Uh, right. Yeah. So whew, yeah, that, they yeah. had a really tough challenge. That was an intense challenge too, but I really liked that challenge because it really did show. Okay, who's You uh, that was an early episode. I think that was episode three, mm -hmm. but that was where you could really tell. Okay, who are the queens that are are up for this challenge, and who are the queens that are more likely to get eliminated? And it was great too because they also had they also had these celebrity guests mm -hmm. for the interview portion. It was Tori Spelling and her husband at the time, Dean McDermott, mm -hmm. and so just they they had to do this interview, and you could just see as they you know did the talk show. It was nice that they also got some feedback from the celebrity guests themselves. Mm, okay. And so you could kind of see, okay, well, how did they respond to it? How did they feel about the Queens mm. in the short phase of that interview? Mm. But then overall, like you said, you know, you have what, five minutes to, mm. to make an impression here, to be mm. funny, to do something that helps you stand out mm. in these different things. So, so how do you do that in a way that, helps you to, to to set apart and and be strong and to stand out while also doing a good job so that mm. you're either safe or hopefully moving on to the next one. And what was really great about that I thought was this was where Nina Flowers really mm. ended up standing out a lot. Yeah. Which is ironic because in the episode <laughs> Nina talks about she's like, I don't even know who Oprah is <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And 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 they were they were they were struggling because because Nina was also talking about you know she has this thick accent and she doesn't really speak yeah. she speaks good English but mm -hmm. it's not like fluid English so mm -hmm. it takes her to read a script you know it's not a natural way that she says it so she was going into that with so much anxiety over this thinking oh this is going to be the things that kills me mm -hmm. but then she ended up having the, the strongest performance in that whole challenge. Yeah. You know, she she was RuPaul was cracking up so much when mm. when when they showed her her video. Yeah. And then the get uh the guests the celebrity guests were super complimentary about her mm -hmm. and she had she had, she had made an awkward comment mm. and kind of flubbed something, but at the mm. same time the way that she recovered from that and was able to move forward worked really well for her. So mm -hmm. this is somebody that, you know, was supposed to embody in channel Oprah that she had no idea who that even was, <laughs> but ended up still doing an amazing job. And I think, mm -hmm. I think she was the one that she did not win that challenge, but she was okay. like high safe. 
Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. And do you know, did she say what she drew from for her impression? Because she has to do an impression, but she doesn't even know who Oprah is. Right. I don't I don't think she mentioned it. I think she just okay. was just kind of just out there to do her best and just make it funny okay. and have fun with it. And and that was I thought also a really good way to go about it was yeah. you know, she wasn't that the the most that she knew about Oprah was from what she heard from the other queens in the yeah. in the workroom. But she was able to inject a lot of her own personality into it yeah. and was able to shift, as RuPaul pointed out, was able to morph her personalities mm -hmm. into these different, like, Oprah as a reporter was a mm -hmm. lot different than Oprah as a saleswoman. Mm -hmm. It was a lot different than Oprah as a talk show host. Yeah. And so, but it still had a lot of that consistency mm -hmm. of Nina's own personality that she injected into it that worked, worked I think, really well in her favor. Yeah, that's great. And then uh, I'm wondering too, and then of course there's no way to know unless we talk to her, but I wonder if um, not knowing who Oprah was actually freed her up so that instead of overthinking and trying to do an accurate impression of Oprah, she just thought, who are the reporters that I know? And then just had fun being a reporter. And then who's the talk show host that I kind of know? And let me just be a talk show host. Uh, and just be in the present moment. And and if she can't really do an impression, then she just, or much of an impression, then she has to just be herself and just have fun. So it, it might have been pretty helpful, actually. Exactly. It takes the anxiety off because this mm -hmm. was definitely a challenge where all the queens had a lot of anxiety yeah. going into it. And I think that hurt a lot of the queens. But, you know, something like this definitely, I think, made it a lot easier and helped Nina especially be relaxed as well as Bebe was the one who actually won the challenge mm. as well. So with that one, it was it was both the complimentary of uh, RuPaul said it was her runway mm -hmm. look on top of her performance in the challenge as well, but said that they both pulled it off really well and and you know just were able to be strong despite the challenge of it and the anxiety of it so it was very it was very that was one of my favorite i think one of my favorite that and the viva glam challenge were my favorite of the season yeah yeah and then this is a little bit of a side note but um it, a kind of a general guideline in improv because they're all doing improv when they're doing that they're doing like interviews and stuff mm -hmm. is to try to remember and try not to um, create. So instead of making up like this whole uh, reporter person, just think of a reporter that you actually know, that you think is interesting, that you think is quirky, and then just behave as as that person would do. Uh, so so it's, it's interesting that since Nina Flowers didn't know Oprah, she was more free to just think, oh, who's a funny reporter? Right. And then just kind of like act like that. Like you said, I wish I maybe one day if I ever get the chance to meet Nina, I'll have to ask her and say, Yeah, who were you channeling in that challenge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be so interesting. And it could also just be like uh, an aunt or just a, an interesting person that they know. And like, oh, let me just let me just act like that person, and then that that could work too. Yeah, and that's I think what really goes into a lot of a lot of not just queens in this competition, but just general athletes in a competition mm -hmm. is is you take inspiration mm -hmm. from the people that you really like and the people that inspire you in some ways yeah. so you say okay whatever the challenges that lays ahead of you, you even if you're not entirely yeah. sure what to do or how to go about it you think about okay who are people that i'm familiar with that i can draw inspiration from and have skills or have strengths that i like and take that from them and then use that and channel that into their own yeah. performance 
Yeah. Yeah. And it also seems like uh, Nina must have just had such a strong mental game because um, I've seen people and I've been there myself where, eh, you know, you just got to give like a five minute little speech and then like your forehead sweating. Like, oh, my God. Oh, oh. And people are like cracking under the pressure of, you know, doing two truths and a lie in front of a classroom. Uh, so, so to actually, you know, try to be funny. Uh, when you don't have tons of experience doing that, it, it's such a hard challenge. But yeah, she, she did a great job. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to also talk about the next episode, which was the Viva Glam challenge, because this was an episode that is is very historic. Like, it's funny because looking back now on this episode, yeah. it seems very elementary. Mm. But season one was very remarkable in the way that it, it paved the road a lot for representation of drag mm. on mainstream TV, representation of, of the LGBT community on TV as well, and a lot of these issues. And the Viva Glam challenge was an important challenge in this regard because it was about making, the main challenge was about making a little like commercial campaign thing mm. to speak out about HIV and AIDS. Yeah. And so, which is very, it was a great challenge for, I thought, for this, for this show, because it's, it's obviously very relevant yeah. to the audience right. and it was to raise money for an HIV and AIDS found, yeah. fund. And it was also something that the sponsor that was running it, mm -hmm. you know, it was something that they've already done and RuPaul mm -hmm. had already did it. And so it was a great way to really show the Queens, Hey, this is the kind of thing that what the next drag race superstar would want to be a part of right. because that's something that RuPaul herself was a part of that helped launch her to the era that to the level that she became. And so I really love this challenge because it was definitely one of those step up kind of yeah. challenges there to see how they did it. So in the challenge, the Queens had like, I think maybe 10 minutes to kind of film. They had like a brief message where they could give about, you know why you want to support mm -hmm. hiv and aids research and and you know kind of create this advertisement mm -hmm. commercial type thing i mean you know they weren't very clear exactly on what they're looking for there but it was definitely mm -hmm. something of like okay you've got you know 30 seconds to make a statement about what hiv and aids means to you mm -hmm. and to do something to help promote the this foundation and to get people to want to donate right yeah and it was a really interesting challenge to see that because each queen had only 10 minutes on stage to shoot mm -hmm. their segment. And so they had this whole stage. They had these random props that they could choose from. They also had the sexy pit crew models that they could use for, for whatever they wanted. And then they got to write their own monologue and, and perform it as well. So yeah. that one was really interesting because you got to see a vast array of personalities from the queens yeah. in something that was actually quite personal to each mm -hmm. one of them yeah yeah that's it, well it's such an important topic and i can really see the the challenge in it because it's uh well one it's a very serious topic and then two it can be very stigmatized where even if you're not even intending on on judging um uh, anybody with HIV, it could just be uncomfortable. And, and when things are uncomfortable, people want to avoid it. I remember um, going to a, a professional conference and I had my poster. It was on one topic. And then I had a colleague who had a poster uh, related to 
uh, her research with HIV. And then we were just noticing like, oh, a lot more people are going to mine and people are just kind of walking past uh, my colleagues. And it was important and she did a, a good job. Um, and it was a, a room full of mental health professionals. But even then it was just like, uh, I guess they're just uncomfortable. And I guess they just, you know, um, They're they're just walking past it and going to things that are like brighter and shinier or just just less uncomfortable. Um, and I can really see somebody who's a professional entertainer, you know, not a mental health advocate, not uh, necessarily uh, an advocate for uh, uh, HIV or LGBTQ issues, and just thinking. How do I how do I do this? Like what do I try to make it fun? Do I make it sad and serious or, Right. or what what do I do? So it's such a, a challenging thing to navigate. And that's what we really saw. We saw all of that. We saw some of the queens, you know, they they told this really dramatic story about, you know, um one of them was was Bebe talked about because Bebe grew up in Africa, in Cameroon, where HIV and AIDS was devastating. So she straight up talks about how she witnessed this kind of thing personally. And that was a major factor in her performance as well. And there is a few other ones where, you know, Rebecca Glasscock, for example, talked about how she lost a friend to HIV and AIDS. And so she was able to draw that as inspiration to help influence her emotions in expressing her feelings during the monologue. And then it was interesting too, because there was, I think a lot of this challenge had actually emotionally affected specifically Chanel, you know, Rebecca Glasscock, I think was really emotionally affected by this one because just on that performance, they were really struggling to, to meet the demands of the challenge. And for example, Chanel took her whole 10 minutes was like, had this whole monologue prepared <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. for that where RuPaul was like, well, wait a minute, stop. <laughs> It's only supposed to be 30 seconds, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, and stuff. So it was kind of interesting to see how they, how they did that. But, and the standout performer in this one was Angina and Angina was, you know, she was one that really made a positive. So, you know, her whole shtick was make life a celebration and, you know, be, you know, celebrate. So she had like, she brought in the balloons and she was like, had this super high energy personality, things like that. It was all about, you know, have fun, celebrate life, enjoy yourself type things. Um, which I was, I really love that as well, because honestly, that would be my approach to it is how do you turn something that yeah is uncomfortable is a topic that, you know, is kind of a downer. <laughs> And how do you turn it into something positive and entertaining where people are going to pay attention? You know, if I don't know anything about your colleague's poster, but if it was something like, oh, HIV, you know, leads to the death of blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to probably move on to something more positive there. So, so how do you take something like that creative positive so that people do pay attention to it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm not a, a Freudian, but uh, there is this idea of uh, sublimation where you take that inner pain, you take, um, you know, you know, your uh, whatever unconscious stuff Freudians would talk about, and then you turn it into something really positive and productive and, and all that stuff, you sublimate it, and then 
you know, you could really see where you, uh, a Freudian would say that that angina was uh, sublimating the the pain from uh, living with HIV. And then also, it reminds me of the stages of grief. You know, when somebody uh, first learns that they have HIV, they can go through the same stages of grief that somebody would go through, you know, when they lose a loved one or, or when they're coming to terms with something themselves. And then not to spend too much time on that, but it would be denial, bargaining, anger, sadness, and then acceptance. And you can see that Angina uh, was in that acceptance phase and just making a celebration of, of life at that point. And that really paid off, too, because she won the challenge. Mm-hmm. And I, it was such a great moment because mm-hmm. when she won the challenge, you know, she broke down crying yeah on the stage in front of the judges mm-hmm. and everybody was just thinking oh wow so she won a challenge she's just mm-hmm. very emotional but then that's when she for the first time yeah. came out as hiv positive and mm-hmm. said it on national tv i think it was one of the first times where somebody on national television just came out and straight up said i'm hiv positive mm-hmm. so it was clearly like you said something that she was very personally connected to mm-hmm. And in a way, like you said, sublimination of being able to project mm-hmm. her own relationship with that onto what she was doing to help yeah. create positive a positive message around it, mm-hmm. and that was really powerful because you know for her, you know it was it was it was a big moment, and mm-hmm. she also mentioned that you know she was very familiar with the Viva Glam campaign. Mm-hmm beforehand way before she even got on drag race but growing up in the philippines she talked about how she never thought that she would be at that level mm-hmm. so to win that challenge even being hiv positive for yeah. her was such an important moment in her i think it was one of those big defining moments in her career and i would love to talk to angina nowadays and kind of get a reflection from her back mm-hmm. on that and say how was that impactful for you because we got a little bit about that during the reunion mm-hmm. you know she said that you know she was able to talk to her family and, and come out oh, to yeah. her family about that as well in the reunion so yeah. you know it definitely had a major impact on on the way that she lived her life from that point forward uh, yeah that's yeah that's great and the impact that she must have had on just anybody with hiv or maybe um just uh, anybody who hears that message is, is so huge and so important because even there are effective treatments. HIV is not a death sentence. People can live long, happy, productive lives, but still getting that diagnosis, it can feel like, like it's all over. And right. in, in a way your, your life is different now, but, but um, it can feel like, you know, um, uh, everything that you wanted is over and you're not going to live a happy life. You know, you're going to be miserable and feel ashamed and crawl into a hole and, and things like that. So to see Angina just um, reaching that stage of acceptance and and just celebrating life and sublimating all of that pain is so good for, for everybody else who sees that. Yeah, and you can really see it in her performance as well. Just mm-hmm. the way that you know she went into that challenge on a, on that runway and everything like that was really, really strong. I thought for her. Was there any other like particular points in the season that really stood out to you like that? Because that was one that really stood out to me. 
No, well, that's a great one. Um, well, the the finale uh, and just Nina Flowers versus Baby. I don't know if we want to get into that right now, but let's uh, let's go into that because uh, yeah, we could, okay. we could, there's probably going to be a lot to chat about the finale. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's just jump into that. Sure. Oh, I guess actually the the thing that this is still the finale, but oh man, and it, this could just be editing. I don't want to uh, make any assumptions. But it kind of seemed like Rebecca uh, was kind of imploding a little bit and um, just just starting to sandbag, starting to yeah. um, just not give her all in the finale. And, you know, I get it. It's a lot of pressure. And she was young. And um, this is a completely new environment. She never had to uh, get dressed really quick and then get dressed really quick again and then go perform and and have all that pressure. But, you know, you could see that all the experience for Nina and for Bibi or Bebe, I'm sorry, uh, (laughs) like really paid off. And then for Rebecca, she was just kind of seemed like she was kind of floundering in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's where. We we talked earlier about how Rebecca kind of was given a, a a pass, a hall pass by the judges. Then it really came time to okay, mm-hmm. you you were able to skirt by earlier, but now this is where you really need to step up or mm-hmm. go home. And like you said, she was really starting to implode. Mm-hmm. At the same time, ironically, she still had the confidence of saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm going to be the next draft superstar. <laughs> I am the hot shit. Yeah. I'm going to be the best." But mm-hmm. it was clear during her behavior of the challenge so showing up late to the set not having fully prepared herself having a brush through to get dressed and everything like that just that simple behavior was already for me like a big red flag of okay she's not quite ready for this yeah and she even got called out by it by rupaul by -hmm. saying okay you know you need to be more professional Mm -hmm. because to be an erica's extract superstar you have to be you professional and the way that she acted during a lot of this aspect of it was unprofessional in a lot of ways. And that really yeah. hurt her. But then as you said, she started to kind of implode and things were generally starting to fall apart for her it, as she, she did put in a good effort. I thought mm-hmm. she really tried in a lot of ways, but at the same time it was, it was clear that she was finally being called to task and wasn't yeah. able to keep up. Yeah, yeah, and I did, I did uh, find it funny and interesting when uh, Rue and the other judges were thinking, or they're saying, "Oh, Rebecca's so beautiful. Have we been giving her a pass?" Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in psychology, there is something called the halo effect, but it usually has to do with looks. But it could be, you know, another good quality when somebody has a good quality, like being attractive. You just assume that they have other good qualities. Uh, it, it kind of gives the person a halo that just kind of um, makes you think of them as this angel. Yeah. And uh, and you can see, like, Rebecca uh, was very pretty, had a nice look. And then everybody was just like, oh, well, she's so pretty. Uh, you know, well, uh, she'll do better next time. Or, oh, you know, so pretty. Dancing, not great, but, oh, so pretty. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think that would happen at this point in, in the, the show. Right, and especially going up against Nina mm-hmm. and Bebe, mm-hmm. you know, clearly being pretty wasn't enough because, I mean, we saw Bebe in, in the in the in the previous challenge where she had mm-hmm. to 
do the three looks, right? Mm -hmm. And Bebe has shown that she can really bring the beauty yeah. as well. So she was already going very much competitive against Bebe yeah. on just being pretty. Mm -hmm. And Nina was such a standout in her own way mm -hmm. that, okay, you're pretty, but how are you being different? Yeah. And so that's where Nina was able to really challenge her as well. And I thought that, okay, yeah, you were able to, like you said, have this halo effect and mm -hmm. kind of skirt by on these looks when, you know, it was able to eliminate everybody else. My personal opinion is Angina should have been in the top three as well because she had the mm -hmm. capability for it. Right. The struggle was was the one time that Bebe was in the bottom two mm -hmm. was when yeah. Angina was also there. So, yeah. and it was quite interesting because in that episode, RuPaul was like, oh, baby, you've done the impossible. You beat Angina. <laughs> yeah. And I think everybody was already had kind of a halo effect around Angina mm. at that point, kind of given her. Yeah. But at the same time, it wasn't just because she was pretty. Angina yeah. was that strong. But yeah. going up against somebody like Bebe as well, being the, the strong powerhouse that she was, that mm. it was just too early in the season that one of them had to go. So unfortunately... Mm -hmm. You know, by the end, we ended up getting somebody else that was able to maybe skirt by in the competition. But then mm -hmm. when it came time to compete and they had to go up against each other, mm -hmm. Rebecca just didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. And for the integrity of the competition, it's good that uh, Angina was eliminated and Bebe went on. But then just for the entertainment value and just because, you know, we like people, it would have been great for both of them to win and then, and then go on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just didn't work out that way. And what I really liked was the segment where they had the lunch with Rue, mm. you know, the little Tic Tacs and everything like <laughs> yeah. that. And we're able to kind of get a little bit more of an insight into – you know each person and just kind of have that conversation with rue it was it was cut really short so the final edit we see on the show obviously was you know you only get like one or two responses and then they move on but yeah i thought that really offered still quite a bit of insight into rue's perception of mm -hmm. each of the queens more personally rather than just from behind the judge's table yeah. you know so she she talks to nina she talks to Rebecca, she talks to Bebe, and kind of comments a little bit mm -hmm. on some of these things. And with Rebecca, she talks specifically how other people think that Rebecca might be in over her head a little mm. bit. Uh, and to be fair to Rebecca, just basically a kid, just a yeah. young college student, something like that. Uh, but you could really see the emotional maturity just needed some more development. Yeah. Like Instead of saying... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm running late. Um, I'll do better next time. Uh, we, you know, for the the music video, she said something like, "Oh, yeah." People just kept saying, "Hurry, hurry, hurry! You're late. You're late. You're late." Like, yeah, then you're late. So you got yeah. you got to get to a shoot on time. You got to get there ready, ready to perform. You got to do your right. job. And and Rue pointed that out later, and then that like, Rue kind of gave her a moment. And I thought she was. Um, giving Rebecca a moment to maybe own up to her mistakes or say something kind of diplomatic and, and make things nice and with uh, her fellow competitors. Uh, and then uh, instead uh, on the stage, Rebecca says something like, yeah, and all the other queens can kiss my ass or something, something like that. I got that exact <laughs> quote. It's yeah. for all those queens throwing shade, you may suck on that bitches. <laughs> it's funny yeah. it's, it's and it's funny. a it's a grand it's a it's a big it's a big finish it's mm -hmm. an exit 
Yeah, it makes for good TV. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, you just called people who are probably thinking that they're your friend and that, you know, they like you and they're your coworkers, basically. And you're in a small club that you're going to be in for forever. And you called them old and said they're implied that they're jealous and kind of told them to F off. It's like, Mm -hmm. and now you're about to go in a room with them. And you're you're going to spend the rest of your life or the rest of your career touring with them, assuming that you can stick it out and you don't just fizzle. Uh, and it was interesting to see all that unfold during the reunion. So yeah. I really like the idea of having that reunion just to give them that reflection of <laughs> let's talk mm-hmm. about these kind of things and clear the air here. So yeah. because I, she was able to, I think, do some damage control on that mm. during the reunion and was able to talk it out and, you know, even apologize and, and resolve a lot of mm-hmm. these issues. But you can definitely tell that, yeah, her personality for that front, I, it felt like she was more trying to just prove people wrong. Yeah. Rather than to prove something to herself or to, you know, she wasn't doing it for herself. She was doing it to mm-hmm. prove other people. Yeah, yeah. And I would guess just, you know, based off the little bit that I know, and um, I think um, someone in that position who often gets complimented for their looks and is often maybe attacked at least partially because people are jealous of their looks. I can imagine somebody thinking, this is just another one of those times where people are jealous that I'm prettier. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure that was part of it, but then also reflecting and, and Rue pointed this out, like, oh, did you do anything to alienate them? Can you reflect on that? <laughs> yeah. so, that would have been a nice time to really reflect on that and think, eh, maybe I was kind of a jerk sometimes. Uh, yeah. But, you know, especially, you know. especially when RuPaul, you know, is, is, is pointing that out for you or, mm. You know, somebody there, maybe it's not RuPaul, but it could be a coach. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, a, a colleague. It could be yeah. even somebody that you look up to, you know, pointing mm-hmm. it out and saying, you know, we noticed this particular thing about you. And mm-hmm. maybe that's something that you should take, not mm-hmm. necessarily personally, but take it to heart to say, well, mm-hmm. maybe I should reflect on this behavior. Maybe I should think about, you know, what it is that I'm doing and the effect that it's having on others. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and that they're... There's there are definitely plenty of times when somebody might, you know, uh, maybe they're the starting quarterback, maybe they're whatever, you know, flashy position. And sure, there are plenty of people who are jealous and want their spot and hate on them just because. But then also, are you rubbing it in their noses? Are you being um, kind of arrogant about it? Eh, you know, maybe you can also be more mature and treat people better. And then that's that's going to help with your relationships and then also just help you to feel better too. Right. And I think that's why at the very end, when she was eliminated, Santino mentioned that the real competition was between Nina and Bebe because those two Queens had that mindset. Mm -hmm. Those two Queens had the maturity and the strength and Mm -hmm. were there not necessarily to try to prove themselves against other people or try to bring other people down or, you know, they were there, they were on that next level just mindset-wise, which is, in the end, I think really what the judges were looking more for than anything else yeah. was being able to say, well, why are you here? What is it that you want to co- get out of this competition? And for those two, having that next-level goal and mindset, which was more about, I want to be the best of who I am and show the best of who I am and express that was what allowed them to really be competitive on a level that Rebecca just wasn't ready for. 
Yeah, yeah, and I really appreciated um, just their mature competitive spirit where, you know, before the actual um, lip sync or before they even went out there, there was a little bit of, of banter between Bebe and Nina, but but it wasn't getting nasty. They were just kind of, um, they're just being competitors at, at that yeah. moment. And then when they went on the actual stage, you could see that their friendship was intact. Mm-hmm. They respected each other and right. they were both just going to, just going to go for it and uh yeah and and they they had a really uh, you know really i I guess you could say fierce uh uh, lip sync battle Mm -hmm. and they were playing off of each other and dancing with each other and still competing so i I thought it was great the way they balanced that that friendship with actual fierce competition well and that's the great part about competition i think in Mm -hmm. any sport any competition where you have respect for your competitor because mm-hmm. you know that that competitor is going to bring their best effort right. to the competition. And that means not just in the moment, but developing the skill set, developing everything that they need to be yeah. competitive in that competition. And now yeah. they're going into it full yeah. force saying, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing mm-hmm. everything I've got to this. I'm here to win. Yeah. And that pushes the other person to say, well, you are respecting me. You are respecting this competition by going into this 100% max effort. So I'm going into this 100% max effort. So there is a mutual level of respect there and even a friendship that says, hey, regardless of how this turns out, we both put in our best effort. We both did everything we could possibly do to be the best of who we are. Mm -hmm. So in the end, it doesn't really matter what the result is. Right. Because we're here for the same reason. We want to show the best of who we are, express the best of who we are. And in the end, whatever the judges decide is not saying anything less about myself or the other person who maybe doesn't win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, you could really see... I'm not a good judge of dancing, so I can't really tell who's winning. My my little trick is whoever the camera is showing more is probably yeah. winning. Um, because that's the person that's standing out yeah. that they say, oh, whatever's going on here, we want to put the camera at. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I actually, thought, that's a good thing because yeah. think about it. If you're mm-hmm. in that context, right, mm-hmm. you want to be the one being seen on camera. Right. Because yeah. if you're not seen on camera, then clearly you're not doing something that's remarkable enough to be having yeah. the camera pointed at you yeah exactly and i was watching both of them and i thought they were both doing a great job and then i liked uh, how they were playing off each other and baby kind of slid under nina's dress nina kind of danced over her and and they were both doing great and then i, I really appreciated that um Nina was just really happy for Bebe, and it, it didn't seem fake or forced. Yeah. It just seemed like she was really happy for her friend. Um, and that was legitimately, like, when yeah. we got to that point, I it, had I not, I mean, I've already seen mm-hmm. the first season, so I knew how it was going to end up, but I remember the first time I saw it, I, I seriously had no idea. Yeah. Because I thought both of them did such a great job. And like you said, they had mm-hmm. such a great chemistry for each other. Mm-hmm. Clearly a friendship was being expressed. Mutual admiration, both of them, within their performance to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, putting in the max effort 
in everything they did. So maybe, yeah, maybe the dancing wasn't the best, but we've seen in lip syncs, yeah. we've seen, you know, even, even in this season alone, but especially you'll see it more in future seasons, the lip syncs don't just come down to how well you dance or, right. or whatever, because, you know, there's some queens that don't even dance at all, mm. but still win a lip sync. Yeah. And so it's 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 about maybe the dancing, but it's it's the performance of it all, right? So how you express and embody the music and the song and how you just the general performance of it all, right? So there's so much more into that that you know, you probably can't even break it all down. Yeah. And like you said, but the good trick is, okay, who's the camera looking at? Mm -hmm. Because the camera's probably looking at the same people that the judges are looking at. Yeah. And if the judges are looking at you for good or bad, <laughs> you know, the point is they're mm -hmm. looking at you. Yeah. So you're standing out in some way. And yeah, by the end of that, it was great to see that they were both so strong that you could think about, I really have no idea who it's going to go to. But then when they announce the winner, you know, they're embracing each other and they're mm -hmm. hugging each other and mm -hmm. celebrating in that moment yeah. for, Hey, I love you. You earned this. You did a good job. This is your moment. Go for it. You know? And I, yeah. I, I'm so, I just, I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And, um, and I appreciated the dancing. I mean, it's not like it is now where there's backflips and death drops and duck walks and all this stuff, but for what it was, it was really good. And it kind of reminded me of like Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie or like one or uh, Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Botter, where they're, the skill is definitely not refined the way it is now, but it's, for what it is, it's it's great, and for its time period, it's great, and, and all that stuff. It, it In a sense, it was sort of like Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed. None of the punches are really landing, uh, but it's 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 great to watch, and it's, it's really emotional and triumphant and all that stuff. Indeed. So final <laughs> impressions on the season. Sure. Yeah, oof, let me think about that. Uh, it was so... Uh, like, I guess, going off of what I just said, it's kind of like... Like the whole thing was kind of like Rocky, the first one, where it's low budget, it's raw, there's so much heart in it. Like Sylvester Stallone had to sell his dog to get the movie made, and then he bought his dog back for a really high price later on. And you can kind of see like, oh God, did RuPaul, you know, did Ru sell her dog for this? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> did, you, did Ru borrow like twenty thousand dollars and then like oh we gotta make this happen and then just like <laughs> tape it together with duct tape somehow and smear vaseline everywhere um like yes. do not look behind that curtain do not look behind that curtain <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so it's it's really great for what it is uh just and it's the, it's the origin it's like the seed um you know uh it's like that first that first brick building that turned into the roman empire um mm -hmm. uh yeah and and then even then you can kind of see like oh uh nina flowers is like the future or like that kind of high heightened fashion is, is gonna get bigger and there's gonna be more important moments like with angina more important things will happen yeah and um and then a lot of it was in place already like a lot of rue sayings and um so a lot of it was in place but then there's no michelle visage like things are gonna keep building and, and getting getting um better and better 
yeah, just just raw and and fresh, and then and then you can see the beginnings of of, of what's going to happen. But it, it was you know, good stuff. Indeed, I agree. And and there's a lot of it's interesting because there's a lot of very famous elements of Drag Race that you don't see yet. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, there's no snatch game in this one. There's mm-hmm. no reading challenge. So a lot of these very foundations of Drag Race, they're not even here yet. But you start to see those foundations occurring. You see a lot of uh, where RuPaul's finding inspiration. So in the later seasons, he does in in the tradition of Paris is Burning, the mm-hmm. library is open. Yeah, and Paris is Burning is a documentary, a very famous mm-hmm. documentary from the 1990 that yeah. followed New York City drag ball culture. Yeah, and a lot of inspiration was clearly taken from this documentary and channeling it into the show. So even though they don't do the reading challenge in this one, they do a Vogue off where she specifically mm-hmm. also references Paris is burning and they do a Vogue off as one of the mini challenges as well. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely start to see a lot of these, like you said, the seeds are, are being planted. A lot of things are starting to, to come together as they are figuring things out and deciding, okay, the show as a whole, I think, like we said with a lot of these queens, they're taking inspiration from a lot of sources of a lot of things they like for something that mm-hmm. they don't really know how to do because nobody's ever done this before. So they're just trying to learn from everything that they can, put that together, and now creating something of their own out of it. And so it's really interesting to see that you can, in this first season, really get a good glimpse of that. Like you said, it's very raw, it's very... It's it's structured, but it's not quite as tight as it as it becomes later in the seasons. And it's funny now because you know you look at like the prize now. You know, Baby Zahar Benet wins twenty thousand dollars, and in the latest season of Drag Race, which is like yeah. season fifteen, <laughs> she wins two hundred thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. you know, obviously RuPaul was able yeah. to get his dog back and and then some. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah that's good yeah so so it's really great to see and and it's really nice because they still honor that legacy i think from this first season you know like i said pork chop always has a seat at every finale and a lot of these queens do make appearances in all-star seasons later on too Mm -hmm. which is really great and interestingly enough bebe returns in an all-star season Mm. as the first queen who's already won to be invited back to the competition. This was before oh, All Star wow. Seven when they invited all the all the previous winning queens, and it was so funny because one thing I loved about when they they brought her back as a surprise guest or not a surprise guest but as a surprise contestant. Mm. I, I I I don't remember exactly who said it, but one of the other queens was like, "Well, why did you bring back Bebe who already won?" And RuPaul was like, "Well, we want to give her a chance to shine without that smudgy filter." <laughs> <laughs> that's very nice (laughs) yeah so and it's great because you get to see her in that in that in that season as well and she just looks just as beautiful and just as glamorous Mm -hmm. as she does in this one as well so she clearly not only not lost a beat but has grown immensely in that regard as well so and i i love this season just because it's so you know every 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 tv show always has that like first season Mm -hmm. which is kind of rough and and stuff but i always love that because you really get to see the heart of the show you really get to see really you know what they're trying to do with it and then it's great to see it actually evolve into what they uh ultimately want it to become 
Yeah, and then when you just said that, it made me think of that first season of The Simpsons when everyone's dressed or uh, drawn all wonky, yeah, like, uh, from the Tracy Ullman show. <laughs> yeah, it, that's kind of what this season was like of RuPaul. Pretty much. So, yeah. and it's exciting, you know, because we'll get to see how it uh, grows into the next few seasons. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you for joining me. This was a fabulous discussion. Where can people find you? How to connect with you on social media? All that stuff. Ooh, sure. Okay. Yeah. For uh, once, for once, <laughs> I'm asking you the question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I have a podcast which you've been a guest on uh, plenty of times called Movie House Sports Psychology. So definitely check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my handle is at CBT Sports Psych. Um, and then um, I also just started on Threads, uh, so I'm trying that out. I'm, I'm very lazy about social media, but I'm, I'm posting a little bit here and there, so so check that out. Uh, and then I guess if somebody wanted to work with me as an actual psychologist, uh, the website is cbtsocal.com. Uh, so cbtsocal.com, you can uh, look at my bio, and then if you're in the state of California, the, then uh, I can I can work with you at that time. So go ahead and. and check that out everybody and you're in los angeles right uh, in the la area um, which, which is where they film rupaul's drag race so maybe you'll oh, get some future queens hey. reaching out to you <laughs> saying hey help me prepare for the show yeah that would be awesome i have definitely uh, wanted to do that uh and the, yeah so if if, uh, if any future queens are listening to this or present queens hit me up Let, let's let's do that <laughs> <laughs> fabulous well thank uh, you for joining me my pleasure let's do this again Thank you for joining us on this episode, and forgive the varying quality of the microphone as we recorded this while I was on vacation and thus did not have access to my usual podcast microphone, but we hope that you liked the episode, and I encourage you to leave a comment and a review, give us some feedback, hopefully it's a positive comment and review, and help us start to gain some traction here as we move forward with our podcast.